Have you ever wondered why some young people choose to end their lives? Ever wondered who they are and who they left behind? Have you ever wanted to hear their stories? Would you like answers to these questions and many more? Welcome to Suicide Pages with Dr. Lulu. Her mission is to shine light on these young people, create awareness for, and educate the world on youth suicide. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Dr. Lulu and her guests. They are not a substitute for professional advice. If you are experiencing suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-TALK or send a text to www.crisistextline.org. Now, here's Dr. Lulu. My name is Dr. Lulu, feeling better this morning, feeling more energized. I hope my voice is representing that. Today we have another wonderful guest. As you know, I like to share stories of experts, stories of people who have, you know, walked their talk. And today we have no one that we have someone that's not any different. Her name is Dr. Araba Chinto. She's my brand new sister, actually. We just realized we're both West African. And maybe at the end of this interview, we're going to discuss Whose jollof rice is better, the Ghanaians or the Nigerians? We're going to go there, but <laughs> before we I'm do that. I'm not sure <laughs> there's a discussion that's required. It's clearly the Ghanaian jollof. So oh my God, I, no, I don't know why you would, my, yeah, yeah. Well, did well. Did, no, she didn't. Did you see that? She's literally on my own podcast. <laughs> I'm just you saying. Know, I just we're going to be editing that part, okay? <laughs> I love it. I love you it. You don't need to edit it. the truth. You don't need to edit the truth. <laughs> oh my goodness. Listen to this woman. Listen to this woman. She came on my own podcast and cursed me out. All the students, I hope you guys are ready. We're going, we're going for her. So, you know, that's how we roll. That's how the West Africans roll. I'm having chills just talking to this woman. I feel like we literally are sisters. Um, you know, sometimes you meet someone, like, I say, every once in a while you meet someone and you just click. And Dr. Araba Chinto is that kind of person. So welcome and thank you so much for writing on our pages today. Thank you for the invitation to be here. So Dr. Araba is an adult psychiatrist, and I love the way she described it. I'm going to let her say that. Hopefully she'll say it the way she said it. <laughs> an adult psychiatrist, and she focuses on schizophrenia. So Dr. Araba, you, I want you to be the one to say what she said to me earlier, which is just such a nice way to, to put what she does on a day-to-day basis. So you know we're talking about suicide, but really talking about suicide, talking about life, you know, talking about choosing to stay. And so welcome Welcome, welcome. Where do you Thank want to start? You. you want to start with your introduction? Uh, sure, I'm happy to. Um, so, uh, yeah, as you said, uh, I am uh, a psychiatrist. Uh, I focus uh, on the adult population, um, and my clinical and my research interests are in schizophrenia. Uh, and so that that phrase <laughs> that you uh, gave you a chuckle, uh, and one that I've uh, used again and again because I believe it's true. Um, so I always tell people that uh, you know, as a psychiatrist, psychiatry is the unwanted stepchild of medicine. Uh, and schizophrenia is the unwanted stepchild of psychiatry. So my area of work uh, is not for the faint of heart. Um, 
you know, the, the patients that I work with, uh, the people that I advocate for, um, they are not our shiny faced individuals. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's hard work, uh, but I had a mentor very early on that uh, encouraged me to stay involved in the area. Um, and it's been incredibly rewarding for my oh, years and years and years of training uh, and, uh, and work that I do. So that's, that's my clinical work in a nutshell. Wow. I like, so you've already said it by dropping nuggets. You said two things. First of all, it's a stepchild which has its own little stigma, but then unwanted, oh my God, that's double. But you know what? That is true. And that's what we do on this podcast. We talk about the stuff that no one wants to talk about. I mean, imagine you, a black woman with that beautiful British undertone. And if you don't know, she's from Canada. So yeah, we've got another international guest. <laughs> but she, um, she's talking about, you know, working for psychiatry, which wants to say psychiatry, people, people do give you the, the side eye. And then you say schizophrenia, they shift as they hold the side eye. And that's like, oh, uh, I need to go refill my glass. Because she's going to start diagnosing me. Because that's what we did. In, you know, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. That is exactly what happens oh all God. the time. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh my goodness, what a good note to begin. So what do you want to talk about? My podcast is very unregulated you just you know whatever you want to talk about i will listen and we'll make sure that the world hears it that's really what i'm here for so where do you want to begin um you know i uh it's interesting i have the benefit of working at um at the center for addiction and mental health so that's canada's largest uh academic um teaching and research hospital uh, that is specifically focused on mental health. And so it gives an incredibly unique perspective. It's in an urban center, so Toronto, for those of your listeners who've, who've heard of Canada and who know where Toronto is, uh, it's, a, it's a big urban center uh, with a population that I probably should know, but I don't. Uh, imagine lots and lots of people. Um, and, and the urban centers are where uh, where a lot of our patients with schizophrenia end up. Um, there's lots of research about it. And so the, the benefit, or I guess the, the unique aspect of being at CAMH um, is this is where, you know, the hard, the hard cases come. We have, uh, you know, a number of other academic hospitals. Most of them are general hospitals, you know, things people will, will be very familiar with. We have a lot of community hospitals as well, too. Every single hospital, wherever you are, deals with mental health, has psychiatrists, even deals with patients with schizophrenia. But we get the hard to treat. We are the tertiary care center. So the patients where, you know, their doctors, their families, they don't know where to turn, um, where people who, you know, are patients who have tried medication after medication, hospitalization after hospitalization, um, they're still having symptoms. Families don't know what to do. Their doctors don't know what to do. They send them to CAMH. And so I have this incredibly unique opportunity uh, to see that thing that you talked about, that thing that nobody wants to talk about. Our patients who, who sometimes, despite everyone's best efforts, still struggle to get better. Wow. I mean, that's just, I mean, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were going to say something. That's no, no, just amazing. Just even for me to just, just unpack that. So you're seeing literally the tip of the iceberg as first 
badness in 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 diagnosis if that's even a, a, a phrase i can venture but that makes you i almost want to say that hmm do you ever feel somewhat stigmatized yourself as the caregiver because i know as a nigerian or at least when i went to medical school in the 80s and 90s well barely in the 90s really in the 80s because i graduated in 91 most people psychiatric illnesses they are shackled at least in nigeria maybe west africa probably i can speak for that they are shackled and they are left basically like the family just bring them drop them there and just essentially turn away and never come back i mean is that even the picture and like i told you at the beginning before we started recording i have never met anyone like you before so i, I love it but is that the picture you get over in canada I almost want to, when you say urban, what do you mean by urban, by the way? Just define urban and then is that the picture you get? Uh, yeah, so uh, so I think instead of badness, I think the word that's more fitting is complex. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we tend to throw that word uh, around quite often, but I actually think it really fits uh, for the patients that, that we see with schizophrenia because it's not just, it's not just schizophrenia usually. It's schizophrenia plus all those other kind of social determinants of health. These people don't have access to, to, to money or to housing or you know, even regular healthcare. Um, you know, we know our patients with schizophrenia are, are more likely to die um, 20 years earlier uh, than our average uh, people in, in the population. Um, oh gosh, so many things, so many things. So, so they're complex uh, plus, plus um, substance, substance use. So we'll have a lot of people, um, uh, you know, cannabis is kind of the lightest of them, but a lot who either have a history of, um, you know, cocaine or crack or meth, all of those substances are also tend to be part of the picture as well too. As well, we will sometimes get patients who have, you know, a developmental or an intellectual delay as well too, or even uh, a brain trauma, a head trauma. So all of these things make these incredibly difficult to treat patients. And so to answer your question, I feel like there are a few questions in there. The one that's sticking with me now is- Before you answer, I was gonna mm -hmm. add, on top of everything, there's stigma. And which I, I, I have to go there only because I mean it's real. If it's it's so traumatic for the person who is dealing with it and for their caregivers, but also oh, yes. the stigma, the, the, the society, you mentioned the word mental, they, they turn off, it doesn't matter what you say, mental chicken or mental jollof Once you say mental, they don't want to know what is that's oh my god, right there. They put up walls so i can also imagine that you work with the most stigmatized of the population and that in itself in its own is traumatic isn't it it is it, it is traumatic across the board i yes. would say you know one of the nice things about schizophrenia at times some of the patients don't have insight so they don't recognize you know what they're saying or how they're behaving or or how you know you or I would see them and think oh like what what is you know what is this why 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 haven't you bathed why haven't you combed your hair why are, why are you carrying all these bags all these things they don't recognize that they don't understand that they're that they're ill and unwell and i think sometimes that that's that 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 might be 
that might be helpful in some cases. But when you talk about the stigma, uh, what I, I think about is the families. I was going to say that might be protective. I like you. I like helping. Yeah. Protective. But you know, before you go any further, and I, I'm, I have you're, you're owing me two questions. Yes. One is the definition of urban, and what you were saying about the trauma of the families. But I want you to go back and do me a favor and define, if it's possible, schizophrenia for the listener who's like, "What's that? How what is she talking about?" Yeah. Uh, so I've had this question before, uh, and my short answer is that it's actually quite difficult to, to define. And it's difficult to define because there are so many aspects uh, to, to what we call schizophrenia. So, you know, I, and I use this example uh, a fair amount. You know, if you are kind of out, out, out for a walk downtown, wherever you are, you know, you might see the person at, um, you know, at, at the corner who is, uh, you know, kind of yelling to the air or, um, uh, you know, maybe kind of yelling at other people, you know, looks as though they're, they're talking to themselves, you know, hearing things. That's like the classic picture um, of schizophrenia. Uh, and, and it's one of the things that, that we use to, to help um, with the diagnosis is that auditory hallucinations, people who are hearing things that other people can't hear. A lot of people as well will have the experience of believing things that aren't based in reality. I believe I am being monitored or watched through the walls by, you know, the, you know, the classic was the CIA or here, you know, the Canadian government, whatever it is, you know, they're watching me because they want to hurt me or they want to hurt my family or something like that. So believing things that don't, um, that aren't based in reality, those we call delusions. And there's a whole bunch of different types of delusions, but, uh, but that might ring true for some of your, your listeners. They'll, you know, they'll, they'll know somebody who, who says, I don't know, something that's just, it's just, it sounds quote unquote crazy. Um, and, and those might be delusions, those kind of firmly held beliefs that are not at all based in reality. And another picture that we get of patients with schizophrenia is, is what we kind of call disorganized, where you're trying to have a conversation with somebody, you know, you and I can have a back and forth and it makes sense, but you're trying to have a conversation with somebody they can't follow along. It takes them a really long time to answer because they're so distracted by whatever is going on in their mind. You know, they're saying things, making up new words, things that don't make any sense, completely disorganized, You uh, at times unable even to attend to their, their self-care, their hygiene in the way that you or I would. And so, um, you know, they'll, they will, they will look uh, a mess, you know, grotesque, uh, smell that kind of thing. And so, you know, those are all parts um, of the picture of, of what we would classically see as schizophrenia. Uh, and those are, I'd say, kind of, you know, the extreme end. And in combinations of all of those things um, are what we as psychiatrists uh, would would hone in on and identify and give the diagnosis of schizophrenia. But, but people come to it from many different ways. People can come to it because they have, you know, a genetic predisposition. So they have lots of people in their family who have had schizophrenia. It makes perfect sense. Uh, some people will have had, you know, a traumatic experience. And after that, will will have started to, you know, you know, hear voices or question the things that they're seeing or worried about their safety or, or, or not trust people, that kind of thing. One thing that happens quite commonly is uh, psychosis or schizophrenia after immigration. So moving from, you know, uh, Nigeria, for instance, Ghana, for instance, Iran, wherever you've been, you know, moving to, to another culture, 
very, very common for that to happen as well too. And you know, the other big, big piece that we see a lot, substance use. Um, after a lot of uh, marijuana, cannabis use, uh, cocaine, crack, meth use, uh, a lot of psychosis that will happen even while you're intoxicated. And for some people will linger long after they're even using the substances. And so I bring that up because you know, the, the, na the next natural question is, okay, well, what causes schizophrenia? And the short answer to that is also, we don't know because people can come to it from all these ways. And I can't tell you for sure that if, you know, if you, if you never smoke marijuana, that you'll never get it, or if you never uh, immigrate, that you, that you will never get it. But these are the patterns that we see. And so we are, we are in our infancy in understanding the illness uh, and in understanding what those patterns look like. And even in understanding if those different ways of coming to schizophrenia or if those different ways of manifesting schizophrenia are actually different illnesses. We don't know yet, we're still working on it. The only thing that we do know for sure is the thing that helps take care of some of those symptoms are, are a medication that we call you know, antipsychotic drugs. Um, and that's, that's, that's what we do know. We do know across the board that uh, you know, the majority of people, two thirds of people who have these symptoms will have their symptoms lessened when they take their medication and continue to take it for long term. So that was a, an incredibly long-winded answer to, no, no, uh, to no. your question. No, no, let me say something first. I love smart black women. I mean, you know, take me to jail, but I love, <laughs> you were just dropping. I mean, I just wanted, I was just basking in your words and then of course the accent. And you know, I'm one of those people that I, I try to see more good and not, not just the good, more good in others because we, we were kind of good is baseline now with all the stuff that's going on in the world we need to see more good and so i love that you're a black woman i love that you've got a beautiful accent but i also love that you're smart and you're in research in a realm where you are also human and humble enough to say we still don't know i think a lot of people get stuck. I mean, just turn on the TV and you hear a president who says he was cured after two days. And, and it's so dangerous, the level of ignorance on that, I mean, to unpack there. But it's dangerous on so many levels, not just because of COVID, but because of just the fact that you don't just say stuff you don't, to people who don't know, who already adore you, they're going to take it and run with it. And people's lives are at risk. So for you to bring it down, I mean, I love it. I, I never knew that there was, I mean, it makes sense that post-immigration, it makes sense because yesterday my son called and they were concerned about the fact that they just moved to Boston. It's a new area. They're getting, they're trying to get to know Boston. And then there's this issue of, wait, I can't really make friends. I can't really go out. I have to get tested twice a week for COVID. And they're just struggling with that. And they were like, mom, you know, I was thinking of an adult, my adult life. I thought about it differently. And as a mother, I just listened and I said, I know. And I just want you to, to remember that if there's ever been a time when we're all in this together, this is a time. And then I suggested an aunt who lives there and I said just don't forget to call her and maybe just make that connection solid so that at least you have that person you know but yeah I could hear across the phone lines what they were what they said and what they didn't say yeah. 
Like the I stress. Really, I really miss home. But I think I, I summarized. But hey, at least they called and they spoke to me and I was available to pick up the phone. But yeah, that immigration, that's a, this, a tiniest form of how I can see how that can happen. Because the first, very first week in Boston, um, an elderly white male picked up the phone and called the police on, on a, an individual that all they were doing were putting, I think they went to buy a table, you know, putting it in a car, the rental car, to take it back to wherever. But the point is just the fact that that happened. And a gentleman was like, oh, I'm calling the police because you're parked illegally. Never mind that there were three cars parked there. This is the only one that had a black person you know, interacting with it. But I can now see, I never thought that. So thank you for opening my eyes to that immigration-induced psychosis. Wow. And yeah, you know, and it's funny, uh, I, I had the opportunity to consult on uh, a theater piece a few months ago. Uh, it was uh, written by a neurologist uh, who actually works in our institution. Uh, and as you know, she was, was writing this piece and the story was actually about a psychiatrist who developed psychosis. Uh, and it was based a bit on some of um, Franz Fanon's literature. I, 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 we might, you know, maybe give you a, a link or information to it uh, later on. But in the, in the experience that I had speaking with her, she was asking me, you know, what is my experience uh, as a Black woman, as a physician, as a psychiatrist? And we had the opportunity to reflect on some um, difficult experiences that I had in my training and experiences that I had that it, had I not had good touchstones and good mentors um, or even kind of a good sense of myself, may have had the opportunity for me to be doubting my own reality. And so I bring that up because it, it follows on from what you said. So, so immigration makes sense, but this experience of us as, as, you know, as, as black people in the community, in a community um, that uh, is, is largely white or kind of largely not black also can be part of it, you know, where you are but I was just parked here. But all of a sudden, why, you know, why are you calling the police? Or I, but I, I'm just in this grocery store with all these other people. Why is that man following me? Did, did you just say that? And so these are the experiences. And, and if you have any uh, black listeners who live in a, in a predominantly kind of white society, they will immediately identify with those things. We all know inside what's happening, but we're meant to question it or we're, we're, we have to question it because we're like, did you, did that just, are we just, are we, can you just, and it happens that again and happens. again. Thank you so much because even in our neighborhood that we live in, yes, I live in Texas. I'm going to call, I'm going to call it out. I, mean, I live in Texas. It's not the most black friendly state, country, mm. whatever. And my neighborhood, the little boys, my sons grew up in my neighborhood. And they came home for the lockdown. And don't you know, they went running in the neighborhood and someone called the popo on my two sons. Talking about asking yourself, what the just happened? Like, wait, what? We went to elementary school and high school here. Y'all know us. So yes, I hear you. Oh my God, I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I never yeah. thought that. Ooh, mama. And, and so those kinds of things, I think, 
can be unsettling and, and can ask us to kind of test reality. And I don't know where, again, this is an I don't know bit because people are going to be sitting and, and wondering, oh my gosh, am I, like, am I going to get schizophrenia if I have these, these uh, experiences? And I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is that, you know, when, when we are questioning our reality again and again and again, in my case, I was able to kind of maintain a hold on what was, ha- you know, what was real and what wasn't, you know, is this bad behavior by a supervisor or by a, you know, by a fellow, or, you know, a nurse or somebody else, or, or isn't it? But there are points in time where people aren't able to hold on to that reality. And that can move people into this realm of, of psychosis or schizophrenia. And so one of the things that you had mentioned earlier, I think is really important to touch on. And I, and I use this a lot in some of the other talks I give, not about schizophrenia, but just about mental health in general, is stay connected and stay connected with people who know you. Because your son calls you when you know when it's, you know, happy, jovial him versus worried him versus this is not him. Because he might not know that he is unwell but you will. So stay connected with your community, with your people, with the people that you trust. So that way, mom, you know, when you call up and say, you know what, I'm actually worried. This is a time, you know, I think, I think we need to, we think we need to ask you to go to the hospital, ask you to see a doctor, whatever it is, I'm worried and stay connected because the, the other half of that beauty about not knowing when you are unwell is that you don't know when you're unwell. You don't know how bad it's getting. You don't know how far you're going down your rabbit hole. I love this. So I stay connected. So because what I, I, I don't think he's, I, and I keep forgetting he's a they them. My, my son is a, is, a, is queer, so they them. But I, I didn't think they, I, I, it, was, it was the middle of the day. So first of all, they normally call me on Sundays. It was a Thursday. And if I see any of my kids' numbers on my phone, the speed with which I grab it, because the world is so toxic right now. And the first thing is that, mom, are you, are you okay? Do you have a minute? Of course I have. I mean, like, I'm not doing anything else. And then starts by talking about how just, they just practice a piece because their flute's major. And they just practice a piece. And it, was, it went so well. The rehearsal went so well. And I, was, I just wanted to share that with me. I was like, oh. and how, you know, and I realized that there was no one else to share with-ish. So they called me, which is fine. But then that kind of led to, I wish I had more friends. I wish I was able to go out more and just be a regular adult. I'm not able to do all these things with a new place. You know, I, you know, I, you know when I was in undergrad, I, you know, I knew Stanford and I, I knew people there. And now I'm, I wish, I, you know, I just wish the COVID wasn't here, you know? And it comes back to that frustration of just what the COVID has done and mental health challenges and indeed loneliness because I was active duty Air Force, I was commander, and a lot of there was a study that was done a couple of years ago that showed that most of the people in the military that attempted or completed suicide all had their suicide notes had one word: loneliness. Even in an army, they were lonely, and loneliness was the key word for all the suicide notes that they found. And so, going back to this young man who just started a brand new life you know, a couple, mo- couple of months ago in a new town, had dreams of, you know, making friends and hanging out as a young 22-year-old adult is having to go between practice and his room, practice and apartment. That's it, no in-between. So, of course, we talked about self-care. We talked about 
going running. And I think, I think he said he does one hour per day. And then while he's exercising, he's reading, and then he calls his grandparents, you know, things like that. So there's still some self-care, thank God, in place, you know, but I, it's, I, I know it's a challenge. It's a challenge for me, and I'm an adult adult, you know? So, but now I mentioned the word suicide. I guess we should bring it back to that. Your experience with your complex schizophrenic patients, and thank you so much for just edumacating us, because that was... <laughs> So what is your, what's been your experience with suicide, with the fact that they have, they're not in touch with reality. And thank you for painting a clear picture of the fact that it's genetic, post-traumatic, all of those things I never even thought about. But if they're not in touch with reality, do you see more suicide or less? Because knowing that the suicide paradox is people that are more in touch with their reality are the ones that are more likely because it's like, you know what, I know that I'm not, you know, this is happening to me. I'm not good enough. I'm bad. So I'm going to do this. What has been your experience with suicide in the schizophrenia realm? So the unfortunate thing is that the suicide rates are, are high for our patients with schizophrenia. Um, again, there's a, a lot of research that looks in uh, into it. Um, one of the things that we see is, you know, early on in the illness that a lot of our patients will kill themselves. The idea that that this is going to happen forever. Um, you know, we talked about that kind of lack of insight. And one of the benefits of medication is that it helps restore their sense of reality and also restore insight. And we know that in those times, people can sometimes be aware of the gravity of their illness. And so early on in the illness, we know um, that a lot of our patients will die by suicide. Um, and, and it brings me back to the point that, you know, we kind of started with around family, because around family, and the piece that I'm going to add in is, is the bit that we were talking about, our, about kind of, you know, these West African families. Um, you know, I am I am one of very few Black physicians uh, and psychiatrists in, in my hospital. And we get a lot of young Black uh, patients in with psychosis. And what I hear a lot from families is, what is this nonsense? Why are they talking like this? Why are they doing this? Why won't they just do what I, you know? Why, why won't they just go and get a job? It, almost as though this illness that their child or loved one uh, has contracted is is volitional that they that they, that their child or their loved one is doing this on purpose that they're saying oh I don't trust you I don't uh, I don't love you I don't know you even even them not being able to get back to school like somehow that is a sign of laziness. Yeah, of and, course, because every every Nigerian like my kids if they have to go to medical school, all the Nigerian kids, Nigerian people that we know, which was just a coincidence, happened to be mostly doctors. All of their kids were going to medical school. So here come my kids talking about mom. So you're not going to make us go to medical school, right? Like it wasn't a, it wasn't a, it was like, you're not going to make, I was like, no, I'm not. And so I've got a music performance major. Everyone is like, what? Your son went to do music at Stanford? And like, yes. And on scholarship, because it's a pedigree and loves what he does is not about becoming a doctor. This is not about you living your vicariously through your kids because that's not, my kid is not me. 
you know, but yeah, having that, just that piece of information, what do you mean he majored in music? They're like, what do you mean he majored in music? <laughs> and, 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 we, and we have to, we have to hold space for that. So, uh, you know, my parents moved here from Ghana. And so their contemporaries, that kind of, that, that first group of immigrant people, we are now the first generation children. And we have to hold space for that because those who came here had to, like, what's that uh, Olivia Pope line? So we're working twice as hard to get half as much. They had to, they had to. They could not, they could not accept any level of mediocrity because nobody around them would even bat an eye towards them if they did. And so they had to hold themselves to those exacting standards. And it makes sense then that they would think the same of, of, you know, of their children and have these expectations of their children. What I think is difficult is to recognize how, how the world is changing and how mental illness presents now and how in some cases this is disease. This is not your child acting up or acting out. This is disease. And if it is a depression where they are crying, where they can't get out of bed, where they can't, they can't, they can't speak, they can't think, they can't concentrate. If it's a schizophrenia where they don't trust, where they're afraid, where they don't wash, it's not laziness. It's not volitional. It is disease. I love it because I could and the first the thing the voice you know, kind of breaking up a little bit back there because I mean it is something that you need to yell and scream from the mountaintops like your child is not faking I don't know how many parents I need to tell I promise you a suicide attempt is not a cry for attention it is a freaking cry for help and if you call it attention what is the attention you're not giving your child is a cry for connection please oh my god whether black white don't matter at this point this is where all of us are united that, that denial peace and then when the heaven forbid the child does pull the trigger literally speaking well you know we kind of sort of thought of, well yeah. Yeah. And, and you really, you really hit it on the head there and you're right. It is universal. And I think, and perhaps it's, perhaps it is easier or no, maybe what I want to say is perhaps it's, it's too difficult to understand what it is they want from connection to do that work, to be a bit different to understand your child in the context that they are living now, to understand this illness, which was previously considered weakness, to understand that in a way that is validating of your child's experience and, and embracing of what they're going through while also upholding the beliefs and, and the things that, that, that are important to that other generation, to the, to the parents or to the families or even to the friends, the people on the outside. And so it's this real complex interplay. And what I try to do when we get patients in at CAMH, at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, is spend time with those families to say exactly that. This is illness. It is not their fault and it is not your fault. I cannot tell you how it's going to end. I'm not even really sure if what I'm going to offer you is going to help, but please, for the love of everything that is holy, stay by this person 
because for them to have crossed the threshold into my office or into my emergency department or through my door onto my hospital ward means that something is severe enough that they need more. Amen. And together we can work with you to figure out what that more looks like every day, step by step. That's just how we have to take it now. I love that. I love what you said about the fact that this is disease. This is not your child faking. This is not your child pretending, being lazy. And you know what? Sadly, because both of us happen to be West Africans, sadly, in West Africa at least, the opposite is what happens. We completely do disconnect, completely dissociate with that person. But what I'm hearing you say, which is what I've heard a lot of psychiatrists say repeatedly is, what we need is more connection, more support. But, you know, and, and maybe you and I have to get together because I'm planning something for Africa um, to get together to, to start yelling it from the rooftop that this is, what we're doing is not working. I had a friend of mine, and I never knew this for the longest time. She was my best friend growing up. And I never knew she had a sister that, and now I'm thinking because I know a little bit better that maybe the child had a brain tumor, I think. Because I remember the, the person came into the room for like two seconds and they quickly rushed the, the individual out. But I remember the child was proptotic. I remember, mm-hmm. was, I remember this day of that. I said, who was that? Oh, wait, wait, that, uh, my, she kind of changed the topic. And that's, you know, if, in, in, and that's what we do very well. We find it, the parents blame themselves, which, you know, we see a whole other day's discussion, right? Yeah. And then carries it over to the child and that becomes transgenerational. And then wait, the child doesn't get the help that they need, which adds more stress on the parent, which is now, the, so, and then if the heaven forbid that you throw in church, because I, you know, I, yeah, I have a question, God forgive me, but heaven forbid that you throw in religion, then they now take it at, oh my God, I don't, you know, we're going to go pray it out. And maybe or may not be even the doctor or take the medication. It's just so complex. So I love the word when you said complex, nothing fits yeah. like complex. Yeah. And I hope how each thread is woven into the other and how much time it's going to take for us to just kind of go to the unravel it. Unravel. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, you've reminded me of something that you said at the outset that I wanted to come back to, because there's this feeling that 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 this person now with this illness is now some kind of shame yeah. and, and that they want to be cast aside and sent aside. Uh, and I think in the past, you know, psychiatry has a dark history. You know, we, we, we learn about it and we have a dark history because we had institutions, we had people shackled, we had people put away and sent away. Yeah, oh yes oh yes all exactly lobotomies like all kinds of things yes all kinds of yeah a, a frightening frightening things um that happened you know to people against their will uh and and i think you know times are changing now and i can't speak for everywhere in the world but i, I can speak for the center for addiction and mental health in canada so we are very much a patient-centered family-oriented institution focused on evidence base 
we, we're in the process right now of building, I think within a couple of weeks now, our new buildings will be open where we have um, clinical spaces, uh, I think what they, you know, a therapeutic spaces, open spaces, you know, windows, um, individual rooms for patients, that kind of thing. And, and these are the kinds of things that, you know, these are the, you know how they always kind of talk about soft skills. Those are the soft things that make a difference. So when you are ill, if I get ill with schizophrenia and I need to go into the hospital, I am not shut up behind a door, behind a high wall and never seen again for the next 15, 20 years. I am in a space that helps me reintegrate into society. And it's taken a lot of advocacy. I know, you know, the, the, the head of our organization has worked hard for our government, for sponsors, for donors, for philanthropists, people all over to prove that mental health is health. We can do it better. We can be better. And she's now built these buildings where we have a new therapeutic space for people to start to get well and to live and to understand and to, to, to function in the world as they are with their illness in a healthful, in a hopeful, and a respectful space. So I can't speak for every other hospital around the world, but I know that at CAMH, we're not shackling people. We're not pushing people behind doors. We're not hiding this illness as though it's shame. We're trying to shine light on it and allow people to get help when they are ready to be there. That's amazing. That's so powerful. Power packed. And actually it's good you said that because we're, we have to start winding down. We're in the last eight minutes of the, who would have thought? But I love that because you brought us back to CAMH because usually at the end, I want to know where can the listeners find you? How can they reach you if you have any, are you like an entrepreneur? Are you a coach? Are you a, just a good efficient doctor in research? How can they find you? But let me, I cannot let this go away. I love patient-centered, family-centered, evidence-based, and then mental health is freaking health. Amen. You don't believe me. You don't believe me. You have a toothache for two days. And tell me how you feel mentally. Hmm. Just let me know how you're feeling yep. mentally after yep. two days of a toothache, which is physical. So yes, absolutely helpful, hopeful, and respectful space. I want to see it. You know, when you described it, I could already see you should be an author, by the way, if you haven't written a book. <laughs> because I love your way, you said away words, but also I love that you brought me into the space. You brought me into one of those rooms. I saw the room. And the only thing I could think of when I was seeing the room is like, what if they want to jump out of the window? I, my mind is like, this is <laughs> well, we, well, we have all those safety things in place as well, too. Yeah, because yeah, as yeah. you said, so, you know, suicide is, it, it's, it, it is a thing. It is a thing both for those who are, uh, who have mental illness and those for those, uh, for those who don't have mental illness. And, and so that is very much a thing. I'm their caregivers because I was called yes. to a group of veteran family members who were caring for PTSD. And so their primary people that they were careful with, their family members who are struggling with PTSD, they, suicide risk was increasing amongst them, the caregivers themselves. And so I had to go give a talk to them, just give them some hope and whatnot. So I, I hear you, I hear you. And you know what, we just, we just keep, we just keep going. So CAMH, I didn't know that's how it's pronounced. I love that, CAMH. So CAMH. Yeah, and that's, uh, I mean, I think, yeah, if, 
you know, I don't know where all of your listeners are coming from, um, but uh, our, our website is www.camh.ca. Um, and, and for listeners who are feeling all kinds of things, there are a whole host of resources on that website. Um, it talks a bit about our, our current campaign, actually, you know, to, to kind of speak to why we're even here today. Our campaign is called Not Suicide, Not Today. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and, and, you know, I think, I think people were shocked initially, you know, how is it possible that you are talking openly about suicide? You see that this is exactly why I'm doing my podcast. Same thing. Of all the things you could talk about, natural hair, talk about being a mom or being a doctor, being a, for my Lieutenant Colonel in the USF was all that. I said, no, I had a seven year old patient that tried to hang himself. That is enough for me to talk about suicide. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I might not save a 15-year-old who I didn't save, but maybe there's another 15-year-old out there or 51-year-old, because yeah. I'm 51. And so thank you so much for going there. This CAMH, so it's www.camh.ca. Yeah. And I love the fact that you said because maybe my podcast might find its way as a resource, hey, I'm going to have most to definitely, yes, I'm, yeah, I'm you know, your episode next this Tuesday. Well, I don't know the dates, maybe 13th or whatever, but next Tuesday, that's when your episode is going to be it's going to be released. So stand by. But so, where else can the can the listeners find it? So there's camage.ca. Any place else? So that's it. That is the the best place to find me. And and as I said, um, you know, there there are resources there today. And and for your listeners who are thinking about suicide, affected by suicide. Um, there is information on, on our campaign page, Not Suicide, Not Today, um, that helps you understand uh, if, you, if you need to get help, uh, if you want to, to give help, if you want to, if you don't know what to do and, and you have something to do something and you want to make a donation, that not suicide not today campaign it's it's a pledge and it's a promises that our organization has made um to to the community and to the nation to do everything that we can do to make today not the day that we lose someone to suicide and i think sometimes that's a message that people need to hear that not today we can give you one more day Amen. And we just take it day by day. And day by day, exactly. One, one, really one, one second at a time, one minute at a time. I feel like I can hear all the people that listen. We have listeners in Guatemala. We have oh. in Indonesia. You, you, this is good. I feel them telling me, the spirit is telling me that they're asking to tell you to please come back <laughs> for, for page two because I feel like we literally just scratched the surface today. And I love your campaign, Not Suicide, Not Today. There's no better no better way to, to sell that idea than to just kind of just come out and just, just talk about it. So thank you so much, Dr. Araba Clinto. Chinto. <laughs> Chinto, thank you so much for coming and sharing with us today. Thank you for just adorning us with your jewels of knowledge. Oh, that was deep. And I, I, I need you to write a book. This, I, I, not because I'm a book writing coach. Wink, wink. I okay, okay. Out of you. So let's talk offline, which I think we already connected. We already connected even before this. Yes. And I think I have a book because. We need to talk to the West Africans, baby girl. We need to talk to the people who cook jollof rice. While we're eating the jollof rice, we need to be having this conversation. So 
I need you to sign up for book writing coaching because you have a good book inside. You have 10 books. This is what the work the one is doing. So this is why this is what people write books about. You can write all your report and research, but you need to also write a book for those of us who may not have access to your reporting, your reporting and research, and just to have a you know wider reach. So thank you so much, Sister Girlfriend. I appreciate you. And- You're kind to say so, Dr. Lulu, and thank you for having me on the podcast. It's been wonderful, wonderful to, to have this exchange, and, and you're right. We've only scratched the surface, and so thank you, and thank you to your listeners for taking the time. Amen. So is that a yes? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I hadn't uh, considered it, but as you've said it, I'm like, I don't know. Perhaps, perhaps we, perhaps we do write a book. Perhaps there is something there. But no, you're I right. There's a lot of messaging. Yeah, okay. The book is, is a yes for sure. I wasn't asking about. I was asking about coming back. <laughs> Definitely, whenever you want, whenever you want. Thank you so much. So everyone, this is Dr. Lulu, aka the Momatrician, bringing all stuff that no one wants to talk about, aka suicide. And of course, October 10th marks the beginning of suicide, National Suicide Week for us, 10 to 17 is National Mental Health, excuse me, Mental Health Week for us is 10, October 10th to October 17th. So stay tuned. You're going to be bombarded with all kinds of, maybe I'll release one episode per day or something just for that week. But thank you so much for joining us. It has been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. All yeah. the best. Go check them out. CAMH.ca. Go give them some love. Give them some support. And we'll see you all later. Do Thank you. Hey, are you stuck in indecision? Is there something you've been wanting to do, but are having a hard time deciding how to go about it? Maybe you wanted to write a book, you're having issues with your relationship, your kids, money. Maybe you want to quit your job, but you don't know how to go about it. Hmm. You might need a life coach. Believe it or not, I just launched my life coaching business this year, and I'm open to accept clients and we're having free consults. So go to calendly.com forward slash Dr. Lulu. That's calendly.com forward slash Dr. Lulu and grab yourself a free 45-minute session and I'll see you on the inside.